Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. I'm excited on the show today to have Scott Chambers. Uh, Scott, thanks a lot for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. We're going to go on a journey of uh, employee, employer, law, and all things in between. Uh, I know that you represent, you know, 50-50 kind of employees or employers about uh, legal issues and employment law. We're, we're going to focus on employers today and what, what employers need to know about employment law, especially in these times. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's all over the map. So uh, are, you, are you pumped to be on the show today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we. Uh, what my first question would be is, as it applies to risk management for business owners and employees, what would you say that most inquiries that come into the office are for, as it applies to an employer seeking you out for something? Uh, usually we get contacted by employers kind of after the fact, and that's, that's usually uh, a bit of a problem. Either we get a phone call that they've just terminated somebody um, and then want advice, or uh, they're being uh, um, uh, claimed against by, a, they've got a demand letter from an employee, or there's a work safe complaint, and then they've come to us because something has happened. So normally employers contact us kind of after the fact, which is a little too late. Um, we, it's not not the end of the world, but if you contacted us maybe a day or two before, we could probably map out a lot of the, the major issues, particularly dealing with employees regarding termination, work safe complaints, and things of that nature. Um, certainly, preparation can save you a lot of heartache, a lot of money, and a lot of legal fees. Uh, it, I mean, everyone's always hesitant to hire lawyers because. Uh, we're expensive, and, and that's the reality. But um, you can save a lot of money if you do a little bit upfront to kind of prevent a lot of the common issues, particularly around termination and work safe complaints. This is this is an area that, that you focused on for a while now. Why why this area, and what what curi- curiosity juices keep you? <laughs> you know, this topic. You know, for me, I, is very important for business owners. But it takes a certain extra chromosome, maybe, for you to. Or well, what is it? What is it about the field? I, I, you know, I kind of fell into it a bit backwards. When I first uh, started practicing as a lawyer, I was in Toronto, and I worked for a, a fairly small firm of. Uh, at the time, it was myself and three other lawyers, and we focused predominantly on charity law. So we did a lot of um, work for charity clients, and uh, strangely enough, charities often think that the various employment legislation doesn't necessarily apply to them because they're charities. And so they're, they're a bit different than a for-profit, but the reality is the loss applies to everybody. So it, it kind of fell into that. I was doing the employment side of work for a lot of these charities when I was in Toronto. And, and it, it certainly tweaked an interest in me. I, I know, I, I mean, for myself, I, I was a bit of a workaholic like going through school and then uh, working as a lawyer in Toronto. I mean, you work ridiculous hours and and your employment takes up 
such a huge chunk of your life that a lot of people just don't take it for granted. And they, they think that, you know, the, the law is there to protect whatever relationship we have. Everyone's going to be treated everyone fairly. But in reality, things don't often work that way. And you often end up with um, safety concerns. You end up with uh, harassment, you end up with bullying, uh, uh, in, in, uh, ambiguous policies that people don't understand. And, and a lot of employers, if they don't know the basics of employment law, end up in a situation where they... Um, often make mistakes that are honest mistakes, but they can be extremely costly. So I, I, I certainly, from the employment standpoint, I like representing employees that have uh, uh, like valid concerns. There's a lot of workplace harassment and bullying, which I, I think uh, needs to stop, particularly against women. But generally, I think uh, there is a lot of that workplace harassment and bullying, and people don't expect that, and you get caught in that cycle of you need the job, you need to work, so you put up with a lot of stuff. And then for employers, there's a it's a minefield of issues that can come up with the simplest task, whether you just want to terminate somebody's employment or temporarily lay them off or, or change their roles, change their remuneration. It, it can create a huge mess of problems. So it, it's it's a very interesting field. There's lots going on and I, I'll never, it never cease to amaze me what some employers will do to their employees and vice versa. So it, there, there's always something new to learn. <laughs> Are, are you seeing any, uh, like, is there any evolution in the, the collaboration with employer and employee? So someone, I guess, you know, tougher times, they want to bring their wage down, bomb, they just drop the paperwork or an email, this is happening. Yeah. Or do they talk, like, uh, it's, I think it's all, you know, the past was a secret. It was like the business owner runs the business. They know the numbers. The employee just knows what they make. And that's, that, that should never those lines should never cross because the right. employee will get, you know, maybe entitlement. But what what tips could you say to business owners that, uh, you know, would keep them out of hot water or less hot water when there's a change they want to make? Um, that That's a big, big minefield for a lot of employers because often your business will dictate, like you said, the needs. And if you've got uh, employees that are getting paid too much or working too many hours and you just can't sustain that, often you have to make these business decisions that affect your employees. Um, the problem is the law is very clear in when you make a fundamental change to an employment relationship, whether it's a reduction of hours or a change in title or a change in pay, you've got to provide them reasonable notice. And reasonable notice is dictated by legislation as well as the court decisions, what we call the common law. But there, I always advocate for employers, you, you can be transparent without giving away the all of your confidential corporate information. And employees generally know when there's a downturn in business, they're, they're working less, there's less pressure, you get different pressure from uh, your, your supervisors and your boss trying to increase productivity. So generally employees are kind of aware of it, but don't really understand. And I often find that that, that kind of confusing, confusing gray area that people get left in, uh, it's easier if your employer is very upfront and transparent. You don't necessarily have to say you're doing uh, change X, Y, and Z, but you can indicate, look, there's been a downturn in the economy. There probably will be changes. 
But first and foremost, before you make any changes to anybody's employment, certainly talk to a lawyer to make sure that you're not doing anything offside because it's quite easy for an employee to assert that they've been dismissed simply because you've changed an aspect of their, their role or their, their employment duties. And those fundamental changes can result in uh, a justified uh, claim for termination uh, without cause. And then there's a huge severance component that attaches to that. So whenever employers make changes, it's always good to, to talk to, to a lawyer first, figure out how to structure the change, whether it's a change in pay or, or, or title or whatever, um, or if you have to do layoffs and figure out the best course of action before actually pulling the trigger and saying, uh, everyone's getting a 20% pay cut or something of that nature. Cause that that's more jarring and causes more problems than if you systematically approach everything. To, to... Right. And, it's, you know, again, I, I, we talked uh, that we keep this show somewhat PG vaccine, you know, all, has a whole bunch of, you know, stuff around it. But in that realm, just one soundbite in that uh, the, there there is, uh, gov- you know, government support for if you're not, you know, to get this the, the world right, that you, you may be laid off or is it a layoff or is it fired or how, how is that? Yeah, I mean, some of them, some of them are mandatory terminations, and some of them are terminations for cause. So there's different ways you can terminate an employee. There's essentially uh, termination without cause, which means they've done nothing wrong, but you don't want them in your employment anymore. And then you have to give them a, a, a severance package. So that would be include whatever they're entitled under Employment Standards Act. Plus, if they don't have an employment agreement, what they might be entitled to uh, under the common law. Um, termination for cause means the employee has done something wrong or is unable to do their 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 job and um, you terminate them and they're not entitled to any notice. So um, there's a big difference between what what the entitlements are. Um, Generally, if there's a government mandate that requires somebody to get vaccinated. So we, we look at like first responders or people that work in the healthcare or senior citizens homes of that, that sort of work where the government has saying you have to be mandated to, or sorry, you have to be vaccinated to do this job and you've got a deadline to do it. And if you fail to produce that vaccination status to your employer, they have every right to terminate you. And most are terminating for cause and some terminate without cause. Some are doing a temporary leave of absence or a layoff until you can prove your vaccine. Um, but the, the whether it's termination for cause or not, it's it generally the government um the, the legislation and the way they've structured these mandates have made it really difficult for an employee to fight that. Um, there could be constitutional arguments, but generally you're, you're dictated by the mandate of either the government or the public health office. And if they say you need to be vaccinated to do your job um, and they, they put that requirement on your employer, your employer has very little choice. So it, 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 you get caught between a rock and a hard place if you're interested in not being vaccinated and you don't have like a, a protected ground under the human rights code. And those are quite limited as well. So uh, there's a very small percentage of people that are protected because they cannot get a vaccine, whether it's religious or medical reasons. Uh, but everyone else, if you're caught under that, it's going to be really difficult to argue argue your way out of it. Yeah, well, thanks. I, and again, I don't want to go way too far into those waters, but I think that's important info uh, as employers, employee, you know, a lot of people, you know, even it's a cocktail party, this person, that person, 
confused and, and you know finding the resources is, is quite difficult so i'm going to switch gears a bit to uh when you see an employer who's got their ducks in a row from the employee law side of things or their their staff what do they have documents in place do they have you know did they consult with a certain advisor like not a lawyer but uh you know, who, who have they talked to before? So I'm trying to think, you know, if we want to be better business owners, what should we do to be more uh, protected from risk? It, certainly, I think as, as any business owner, once you get started and you're at that, that threshold where you have either decided that you need to hire employees or you're a small business and you have employees already, um, it, it never hurts to cons- consult either a lawyer that does employment law. There's only a few of us, like in Kelowna, for example, there's only a handful. Uh, but if you don't want to contact a lawyer, I, I would highly recommend that business owners contact HR professionals. And there's a number of independent HR uh, individuals who represent companies um, as needed sort of thing. And they'll, they'll set up any company policies and procedures um, and uh, that, that fit within the legislation. Like, for example, the Workers' Compensation Act, the regulations under that require employers to have very specific policies in place. And if you don't have that policy in place and an employee goes and makes a complaint, WorkSafe will come down on the employer to say, you don't have this policy, you better remedy it. So certainly talking to an HR professional, uh, if you don't have the the, the the size of a, a, a business that has your own dedicated HR, uh, it certainly makes sense to hire one of these independent HR consultants to get company policies, to get employment agreements, to to make sure that you're compliant with WorkSafe and making proper submissions and 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 those kind of like very subtle issues that uh, are preemptive are, are very important. And, and granted, like, like I said, lawyers are very expensive. HR professionals, they're still costly, but they're, they, they can do a lot of stuff that lawyers, uh, we generally get involved when there's an issue or there's a problem. Um, you, don't want, you don't necessarily even want to contact us for every issue, but an HR professional can guide you. And often they get to a point where they say, we're getting outside of our wheelhouse. This is going to become a little more um, uh, issue driven, or maybe it's going to be litigious. Then we get involved as lawyers and we can guide them through that process as well. Uh, but certainly HR professionals are, are worth their weight in gold, particularly for startups to get those policies and employment agreements put together. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. And for the, like, so many of the audience, you know, say is, uh, is in the revenue of, you know, a million to 10 million in revenue, younger, um, you know, what, you know, that sort of realm of business and you're predominantly in the Okanagan, but do you still practice out in Toronto and like you still represent out there too? Yeah, I, I, I'm licensed in Ontario and BC. So my case is generally uh, predominantly in, in Kelowna now, but there's still a lot of um, companies that either are moving into BC that might have an international presence or a, a countrywide presence and they're coming in. So there's a lot of more issues uh, regarding uh, like jurisdiction of laws. If your employees are here, but you're based somewhere else, that sort of issues. Um, and that's becoming more commonplace, particularly with people that are working remotely, because you can have an employee or a business that's based, say, in Kelowna or in BC, but your employees are scattered throughout Canada. And what legislation applies to them? What uh, uh, is it? the Ontario workplace uh, that we're looking at, or is it the BC workplace? So there's a lot of issues like that. Um, but it, 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 
certainly as businesses grow and they, they their presence gets bigger and their sales territories get bigger and their employees spread out, that raises a lot more issues coming forward. So I don't know if you could add to that, but so say you know you have staff in multiple places, you're hiring people in India, you're you know farming out things to the states. Where does that jurisdiction fall? Is it where head office is, or is it? It generally is where your ever your employee is. So if and that that again creates situations because if it was all based in uh, wherever the head office was, I mean you've got one set of laws and you can apply to that. But if you've got an employee in Alberta the Alberta Employment Standards Act would apply. And although the, the provincially, they're all fairly similar, there are little nuances that are different in each of them. Like for example, in, in Ontario, when you terminate an employee, you have to pay their uh, extended benefits during the notice period. And that's legislated. So that's in the Employment Standards Act in Ontario. In BC, there's no such thing. So once you're terminated, your benefits end, regardless of your notice period. So little things like that, and you can get yourself into, as an employer, get yourself into a lot of hot water because if you've applied the local jurisdiction's laws to that employee and the laws in that if where they are are different, you're going to have some issues and they, they would have a legitimate claim against you as an employer. So it, it's it's particularly as your your territory spreads and your employment uh, or your employees spread throughout throughout the world or Canada, you, there's a lot more issues you've got to address. Yeah. So going back to my, that my one question of, uh, you know, say business owners, 25 to 45 or 50 uh, around the Okanagan, what's a, what's the common thing that they're coming in for right now? A lot of it is uh, vaccine policies um, and and a lot of it coming out of COVID, uh, there was a lot of layoffs with COVID um, and layoffs actually created a, a bit of an issue for employers because technically, unless an employee consents to the layoff, a layoff is, is deemed a dismissal. So um, all these people were getting laid off and huge percentages of those people didn't consent to that layoff or didn't have a term in their employment agreement that provided that consent kind of implicitly, um, that created a whole um, issue of that these people had actually been dismissed. And some people took took advantage of that, asserted that they were dismissed because perhaps they make more money on curb than they would in their in their regular jobs. So it, that that was a big issue throughout COVID. Now with the, the vaccine policies and masking policies, um, policies of procedures are, are becoming more prevalent. Um, all along, though, we, we're always dealing with WorkSafe complaints, whether it's mm. um, WorkSafe here in BC looks after bullying and harassment in the workplace as well. Um, so those issues are com- constant, and, and that happens all the time. And it's just because you've got people working together, and there's going to be interpersonal relationships, and it's going <laughs> to create problems. And if you don't have a policy um, that kind of dictates how, how an employee deals with when they're being bullied or, or harassed, then they can go to WorkSafe and then WorkSafe can come to you and, and create all sorts of problems for the employer. So those are kind of the, the big, big issues. Um, uh, we generally see like harassment is a big, big component and, and a lot of uh, employers uh, will will try to circumvent harassment in the workplace or try to stop it or just ignore it and and that creates problems too so there, there are ways to deal with it and and I think employers particularly in those 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 kind of revenue size with that kind of a number of employees of like 25 to 50 those issues become more and more prevalent because you've got more people interacting there's less supervision over the the group if you've got a handful of employees, 
you can you can thwart things pretty quickly. Uh, but again, they, they also have issues because when there's a handful of employees and if it's a small business that's run by, say, a family, that family sticks together. So how do you deal with harassment issues? So that's really where workplace WorkSafe comes into place. What have you seen or what is emerging or is there any emergence of working remote employee law? So as companies, you know, again, I had, you know, my staff, we don't, we're not really in the same place hardly at all. You're in the same kind of boat. You meet your staff. Uh, Is there any, like, is, is now that we're so remote, is everything squeaky clean? No, (laughs) it's created a whole, whole, whole mess of different issues. Um, And and one of them that I think a lot of people don't, don't perhaps realize that if you're working at home, um, you still have all the workplace safety requirements that, that you would have if you were at the office and at the office, the office would look after it, whether you're the management or the owners, they would look after all those safety issues. But when you're at home, you're, you're technically now that's your office. So you have certain safety requirements and that that's one issue that has to be addressed. But what we're seeing more of is uh, companies that are based say in Vancouver um, with there's a definite need for people that seems to be there's a lot of unemployment but there's a lot of need for diverse groups uh, of, of workers and they'll hire anybody whether they're there or not they'll just hire somebody to put put a like a, a button in the seat to do the work and they don't care where they are if you're in uh, Prince George or if you're in Toronto as long as you can do the work they'll hire you. So that the whole remote thing, it, it went from being like your local workers being at home, uh, maybe half hour from the office tops to they could be in, in completely different time zones. So that's created a lot of issues. And then salaries follow that because if you're working for a Vancouver or a Toronto company, the salary expectations are higher, but you might be living in a very small community. So the salaries are, are usually lower there. So that there's lots of issues that go in play just by simply having people remote. So it, it, it has created a huge, huge amount of issues. <laughs> well, you think that'll make it, uh, it might almost equalize though, because you've got people in, in small places, but you know, that's almost efficient if you can live in a small place. Yeah. And make <laughs> Vancouver downtown salary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then that creates an issue for the local employers. So if you're, if you're local and you've got people that are earning Vancouver salaries, but they're in, in a small community in, in the interior, um, the local employers have problems getting a staff because all the all the locals are working for these other companies. So that creates an issue too. So right. it, it, it's almost like a domino effect that once one once it happens, it kind of falls over. Um, but there, it will remedy itself eventually. And I think, uh, although like myself, I've been working basically remotely for eighteen months and coming and going as I need to, but I, I haven't had a face to face interaction with a client in that entire time. Everything's been remote. So I think everyone's kind of got used to that now, but I think we're losing that interaction. So a lot of people are probably pushing to want to have that face-to-face meetings because it is a different sort of dynamic when you when you can talk to somebody and look them in the eye as opposed to Zoom where everyone's kind of looking a little off-center. It's, it's a different <laughs> thing. So. Yeah, I, I think it, it'll just be that the, what people sort of feel that day if it's, you know, or that week, or if you're looking for social or not, because you, you don't, uh, again, I'm in a sales job where you're, you know, meeting and greeting people is awesome. And uh, I, I do feel like I'm missing it a little bit. But at the same yeah. time, many clients report back that, you know, this is just so efficient. I don't have to come to your office, find a place to park, I don't have to pay for it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's a half hour one way for some people. And, and I can, I can appreciate that. So, yeah. I mean, it, for, for myself, I found like, even I can book back to back to back meetings because I can just cut and I don't have to do any of the prep before or, or go to them or wait for them to come to me. And it, it is much more efficient, but uh, you certainly lose that personal sort of touch. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you got any stories that you could share with us like uh, that aren't incriminating or, or maybe uh, case studies that are on the internet of, you well, know, little, little things that maybe didn't seem like a big issue that can, and is there any denomination you could, you know, that again, published stories. So not, nothing confidential. Um, there, I have one case that uh, was just reported in the, in the newspaper last week. Uh, it dealt with, um, uh, sexual harassment, uh, misogyny in the workplace, and and I, I what's it, the word? Uh, misogyny. So like, Just basically, someone was massaging someone. No, no, uh, uh, <laughs> men basically um, uh, being t- treating women very differently. Like, okay, kind of a I guess it's kind of hatred toward women is what it is. Bottom line, but I find uh, a lot of females in this case particularly, and I, I can mention it because it has been in the newspaper, but it, it's quite commonplace, whether it's uh, sexism or age discrimination or just bullying and harassment of, of somebody that somebody doesn't like the way they are, or they have a quirky personality, or maybe they're, they dress a little provocatively and and that garners a lot of attention and negative attention and it's just inappropriate in the workplace but that those little kind of microaggressions that can happen where a, a little comment here or there they add up and and this case is kind of a prime example of that that these these little comments here and there just kept building and building and building and they almost get empowered by they got away with it the first time and then there's another one they push the limit further and further and further and it gets to the point where the employees crack they can't do it anymore and and they either give up and walk away and quit or they they go on medical leaves or at ultimately it, it can result in either a work safe complaint or in this case a, a significant lawsuit so it, it's it's dangerous territory when people aren't treated equally um, and it happens more often than not. So um, it, without giving too much detail, that's, that's kind of the, the, that's really been a hotbed issue. Perhaps it, it's, it's always been there. Um, it may have died down a little with COVID because everyone's kind of working remotely, but now that everyone's coming back to the workplace, these issues are coming back into the forefront that, people can't be treated differently just because they're, they're a woman or they're uh, they might have a personality quirk or they dress differently. And it, it's shocking. Like a lot of people like, behave like it's elementary school and treat people accordingly. And it's just not acceptable anymore. So there, there's going to be a, a run of lawsuits I I, on that. <laughs> I might've seen this one, but this is going to Supreme court. Is it not? Is there- yeah. <laughs> so, so if, so and I don't know uh, much about the court system, uh, but you do. So, so someone makes an allegation, then they've they've retained a lawyer who's going to litigate for them, who's going to get a percentage of whatever they're awarded, or yeah. what, however that works. So, but what happens when you go like up the courts? Does that mean like your costs for court days are more? Yeah. So the, in in most. Provinces, there, there's usually um, three levels of court 
the, you've got the small claims court. So in BC, that's called provincial court. And that's for any claims from $5,000 to $35,000. And generally, you can be self-represented in those, those sort of things. You don't need a lawyer. Lawyers are allowed to represent you, but you don't necessarily need one. And then claims over $35,000 go to Supreme Court. And in BC, it's a little confusing because we have Supreme Court here, which is kind of the the highest or the, the level of court where um, you go for uh, claims of 35,000 and, and up. But if you appeal that, it goes to the Court of Appeal of BC. And it, then if you appeal that, it goes to the Supreme Court of Canada. So the, there's ah, two Supremes. So okay, it's a bit okay, okay. Um, yeah, other jurisdictions call their, their Supreme Court, what we have in BC, something else. Like in Ontario, it's called the Superior Court, which kind of delineates little things a little bit better, but uh, whatever we've got, we've got Supreme court here, but it's, it's, it's limited to that sort of claim. But as um, most employment disputes, generally, once you're retained as a lawyer, we, we issue, usually send out a letter to try to negotiate a, a resolution before we ever pull the trigger to go to court. Uh, mainly because court is, is long, it's arduous, it's expensive. Uh, an average claim, you're probably looking at three to five years sort of thing. So it's not a quick process by any stretch. So if you can resolve it without going to court, you're always going to be in a better position. Lawyers will get paid less, but I mean, we get paid enough. So it's not that um, you're not getting shortchanged by resolving it earlier, but you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache and, and problems. And that goes for both sides, whether you're an employer or an employee. If you've terminated an employee and they're advancing a claim against you, it really makes sense to ask your lawyer, like, long and hard, is this case worth fighting? I, and it, a lot of it is emotionally driven. So you might come in and think that that employee was the worst person ever, and they did terrible things, and I wanted to fire them, and I did, but you didn't have enough to make it just cause. So you do have to pay them something, unfortunately. So right. from a business decision, look how much you got to pay pay them that much. It's a part of doing business and avoid, avoid going to court at all costs, basically. And, and usually we find that the cases that go to court are, they're kind of the rogue ones that are very kind of unusual issues or uh, the pre-negotiation before we initiated the claim just fell off the rails completely. So we had no choice to go to court. But I find with employment disputes, I, I often think that it's a failure of the lawyers working on the side or a failure of the, the employer or the employees with bad expectations of what they're going to get in the lawsuit that ultimately leads things to court. Because if you can't resolve it uh, amicably before going to court, I think somebody's doing something wrong. And whether you've got an entrenched position or you've got an emotionally driven response, um, most cases can get resolved. And, and it leave, leave the really hard cases to the court and the judges. The, the easy stuff should all get resolved. Is uh, is there any surprises in a in a case that that uh, so business owner it, it engages you to work on a thing like I think of injury law I've had clients where you know they've been injured this is pre this you know new no fault thing but yeah you know at the end of the three to five years they pay the lawyer twenty five or thirty three percent or whatever but then there's disbursements and the interest rate is high and it's yeah. a big surprise and so is there any surprises in 
in your files or is, is the same disbursements like you pay for stuff or require build stuff? It depends how we structure it. We often do either uh, pay as you go, which is the normal route for most lawyers. We just pay the hourly rate as we do work. Uh, we can also do deferred billing. So you're paying the hourly rate, but you don't pay until the end of the day. So you just get a, a straight legal bill or you can do the contingency where it's a percentage of whatever we recover. Um, each of them have pros and cons, whichever is better. I generally try to keep my clients really up to date on how much things are costing and how much, if we say we want to do X, Y, and Z, there is a cost component to that. And, and we try to do things as cost effectively as possible, but it, the reality is law is expensive and it, it ends up being expensive. Um, you always have the right as a client, whether you're on a contingency fee basis or a deferred billing or even an hourly billing where you get billed every month or two, um, you can always ask your lawyer what your account's at and where you stand. Um, if, if your lawyer needs to do something, like if you want to do discoveries or if you need to bring a, a, an application or something within a claim, you, you can certainly ask your lawyer, how much is this going to cost me? Because ultimately the client is paying, whether it's a contingency and it's coming out of their settlement funds or if it's deferred billing or pay as you go, it's technically all coming out of their pocket and out, out of what they recover. So I think for anyone, whether you're an employee or an employer in a litigation, um, certainly ask questions keep yourself apprised of how much things cost because you don't want to be surprised at the end of the day and, and most lawyers will tell you up front it, it's usually a range because there's a lot of uh, variables in it but if you need to do x y and z they'll know generally how much that that can cost and they usually add i mean for myself i try to add like 50 percent to everything i say just in case there's an issue but it it we try to avoid surprises because it does get expensive in a hurry and nobody wants to get a bill that says $25,000. I mean, you've got to pay that. That's, that's shocking. So it, it, nobody wants that shock. So we try to avoid it. Ask questions. I, I try to volunteer as much information as I can regarding accounts. And uh, I mean, when you're charging four fifty an hour, it adds up in a real hurry. So there's no qualms about it. It's going to be a big bill, but go into it knowing what you're going to what and what happens if you go to trial and then you lose? Well, that's in Canada. There's <laughs> a, that's a big risk because if you go to trial, the, the way the law works here in, in pretty much every jurisdiction in Canada, except Quebec, if you bring a claim against somebody, so say you're an employee suing an employer for wrongful dismissal and you lose, you as the employee have to pay a portion of the employer's legal fees. So not only are you saddled with your own legal fees, You've lost your claim, plus you have to pay a portion of their legal fees. And, and that's that's predominantly in the common law jurisdictions like Canada, England, Australia. In the U.S., it's done a little differently, and that's why their, their, um, their tort system is a little askew, and they get these huge, huge um, numbers for victories because legal fees are built into that. There's no cost consequences for going to court. Uh, unnecessarily, but that certainly is a risk. Whenever you bring a claim, there's the risk that you might lose and have to be on the hook for the other person's legal fees. And that can get really, really, really bad in a hurry. So uh, most lawyers will tell you that upfront. And it, when you before, certainly before you initiate a claim that that is going to be an ultimate risk, normally you have to trust your lawyer that this case is good enough that your risk is so minimal. Don't worry about it. But yeah, if for, for any claim that's really kind of speculative, there's always that risk component. And that's usually why we do contingency on those sort of files, because rather than 
um, you taking on that risk and paying uh, the fees, we might charge 30%, which might be a little higher than what you were, your bill might be, but we've assumed all the risks. So at a worst case scenario, if you lose a trial, you don't have to pay your legal bill. You might have to pay the other people's, but you don't have to pay your own. So yeah. that's usually how that works. <laughs> well, thanks, Scott. What, uh, what, uh, is there anything else you'd want to teach, uh, you know, business owners that are, uh, you know, navigating this landscape on a, as a final thought to, um, to close I, up the I, pod? I know, uh, I know for myself, uh, both in Toronto and then since I relocated here, um, I do a lot of like free employment law seminars. We obviously with COVID, we've, we've had to reduce them and we shifted online, uh, but we're planning next, uh, starting in, uh, I think February of next year, we're going to do these um, live uh, in-person seminars and they're usually an hour over lunch. And basically we talk about every topic that employers really need to know. They're really focused on employers. And we start with like the basics of what an employment agreement looks like and kind of go through the entire um, employment relationship from that perspective to teach people the basics. Because once you've got a kind of a handle on the basic understanding of how the employment relationship works, you can avoid probably 75% of the pitfalls. And then the other 25% are really nuanced arguments. And then if that occurs, then certainly you contact a lawyer or an HR person. But but the, this, these classes are really designed to give a very basic overview of the minimal requirements. So you can have a, employers have a good idea of where they're coming from. Um, the general advice I would give is, preparation a little a little preparation can go a long way from an employment relationship to saving the employer piles of money so at a minimum get an employment agreement get one that's drafted properly that has the proper clauses in it and whether it's a lawyer drafting it or hr professional we usually know what we're, we're talking about but they're even that most basic document most employers don't have it and, and employees don't have an agreement so their terms are dictated by the law and without that agreement it can be extremely costly particularly when you're trying to get rid of the employees so mm -hmm. Certainly educate yourself, go to online materials, go to seminars like we offer um, and, and speak to a lawyer before you do anything or an HR professional just to get your ducks in a row so you're not kind of caught hanging out there without, without a clue what you're doing. Well, I appreciate uh, your insight this morning, Scott, and I would uh, I would love for you to just give us what was that website again that you usually post on? Or um, so I have you? two. I have one on Facebook. It's uh, if you search. BCHR law, uh, all one word, you'll, you'll be able to find my page. Um, and I post articles as well as news stories that are, are more current. Um, and then our firm website, it's, it's dopesheriff.com. And there's two sections in there. Um, our speaker series, so the, um, the public events that we do for free, those are under community. And then uh, under blog, we have a, a whole pile of employment law articles um, and if, if you can just search and figure out if you fit into any of those categories. And generally we provide most of the answers. There's a whole section on COVID related articles. Um, and and it, that we cover off pretty much everything, at least the most common items uh, are, are captured by those, those either the seminars, uh, my Facebook or the, the articles on the page. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. 
For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.